So you're a podcast listener. That's awesome. Did you know that you can enjoy an even better listening experience with the new Pocket Casts app? With powerful search and discovery tools, they've made it easier than ever before to find your next favourite podcast. It was even recognised by Wired Magazine as the podcast app every iPhone user needs. Pocket Casts is a beautifully designed and easy to use app that offers amazing features like play without subscribing and advanced episode search. It helps you quickly discover and enjoy your favourite podcast with more than half a million shows to choose from. Change can be hard, but sometimes it's worth it. Download Pocket Casts today from the Apple App Store or the Google Play Store or on the web at pocketcasts.com. Listen to game time. This episode is sponsored by Kangaroo Jack Fitness, personal training that goes above and beyond to get the best results for you. Welcome, welcome, welcome uh, once again to another episode of the Game Time Podcast. Uh, I'm Alan Tarleton. Uh, with me, it's Tim Baxter. How you doing, mate? I'm good, thanks. It's just the two of us this week. It's weird. Yeah, j- just the two of us. Undiluted football knowledge, we like to think. <laughs> We've um, got the best two. Untouched by any Manchester United opinions that Danny might have, which is nice <laughs> what's coming up. Um, we've got a load of stuff to talk about this week. So we've got midweek EFL action. Uh, we've got a load of Premier League games to talk about coming up this weekend. And as as I mentioned, we might might be talking about a certain Manchester United manager. And then we'll be diving back into our uh, best 11 since 2000. We've got the centre-backs this week. We do. Uh, we do. I mean, well, very excited for it. Maybe oh. some more uh, contentious opinions. Who knows? I think so. We've definitely got a few. It's, it's a more mix. Like we had the goalkeeper last uh, on, on Tuesday and it was, you know, sort of con- consensive. Uh, choice, so we should have a lot more controversy this week. I've got uh, Ryan's pick for that as well, which we'll be mentioning later on. Oh, very good. And I've got some opinions on last week as well, but we'll get into that a bit later. And I suppose the first thing we've got to talk about is, I mean, it's the biggest sports story of the week almost, but it's definitely the biggest football story of the week. It's the sacking of Jose Mourinho. Uh, Jose being let go after two and a half years, was it, at the helm of Manchester United? Uh I mean, did we see this coming? I suppose we saw it coming long term, but before Christmas, what do you reckon, Tim? I mean, to be honest, I think last episode I mentioned that saying that now would be a pretty good time to get rid of him. Um, with because you know they didn't want to keep him for January, have him you know sign more players, and then sack him went with you know even a, a even larger uh, net spend and even more players they don't really need. So I think to be honest, if they were going to do it, now's the right time. But sure. I mean, um, I mean, there was a chat about they. I mean, they didn't even back him in July, so there was obviously already that feeling that they didn't have confidence in the way that. Well, first of all, his transfers, but secondly, the way he was running the club. So, yeah, may, maybe before this Christmas period, at least you can get a manager in who can have a, a couple of weeks at the helm, maybe yeah, to, they've, to they've, have an idea of what's required. They've got. I mean, they've got like four pretty that you know they should fit nailed on fixtures that they should win against teams like Newcastle, Huddersfield and Cardiff. Um, like they, they need to win that. And I think maybe getting a new manager in might inspire the players a little bit so that they can actually pick up a full 12 points from those four games. But um, yeah. I think, I think the issues come from like the issues come from up above the club, which I mentioned so many times before 
and the fact that they offered Mourinho like a contract extension like in the summer um, when you know he should be fighting for his place as well. I think he just he was too settled and obviously results slipped. Yeah, absolutely. So from what, what it's reported, uh, Mourinho arrived at Carrington and did have a morning meeting about January transfer targets and, and what he expected and what the club was going to do. <laughs> obviously, they, whoever was in this meeting had, didn't have that particular intel because he was obviously subsequently sacked in a following meeting. Maybe that was it then. Oh, well, yeah. <laughs> Can you imagine? He was probably quite hopeful after that meeting. Um, <laughs> yeah. But there's a lot of being reported from this, isn't it? So, obviously, the players were told afterwards in training, uh, jubilant scenes, apparently. Uh, they were all wildly celebrating. Yeah. Um, one reported and highlighted, and obviously it's a man who's always highlighted, is Paul Pogba. Um, but what did he say? He said, you fucked with the wrong baller. <laughs> yeah. um, in amongst all this celebration, um, which is, uh, yeah. It's, it just, it's just not good, is it? Like, he, he tweeted the picture, it was in the Instagram post, saying, like, with his sort of cheeky wink and wry smile, saying, caption this. And then Gary Neville just replied to him saying, do one. Um, yeah, do It's so, so poor, isn't it? Because, I mean, firstly, um, it, it was covered up by the fact this was a scheduled tweet. I, th- I think that was the line that was said afterwards. This is one of those commercial scheduled tweets that was always going to go out at that time. I don't particularly believe that. Oh, it's bullshit. And, and, oh, it's bullshit, yeah. But the second thing to know, I mean, whatever you think about Mourinho and, and however you've sort of fallen out with him or whatever, it, it's still a guy losing his job. And, yeah. and it's just, it's, it's a bit tactless, isn't it? Because it's still a guy, however much he's got, I mean, he's been paid off 22 million, which is a substantial amount, but it's still out of a job. And yeah, very, very, very poor. Um, yeah, there's no yeah. taste in it at all. Like, and like he sort of the, the the marks he made afterwards, being like, you know, he's incredibly proud of what he's done at United and to have worn the badge. Like, shows that he genuinely still does. You know, he cares about his work. And I think to then sort of mock him for that and uh, make fun of him just isn't really fair, considering that you know he's professional after all, and all these players are professionals, and they should be taking yeah. it in a professional way. And you can't forget this is still a man that's achieved a huge amount in football and is, well, potentially with Guardiola, one of the best managers of the last 20 or so years, one of the most successful managers, definitely. And, yeah, to be that crass is a bit sad. But, uh, yes, apparently a lot, lot of celebrations for the rest of the players. Um, did you see this about Carrick, though? He, he interrupted these celebrations and uh, quite gave quite a stern reminder to the players about their roles in the clubs and if... If they weren't performing, they he, they would have no problems uh, selling them in January. I mean, and quite, so quite rightly, I think Carrick should have stepped in. Like it's not not the attitude. Exactly. One. It's very poor. And to, to be quite honest, a lot of the players do have to give a certain, well, take a certain amount of responsibility for themselves because you know Mourinho's taken a lot of the slack, but uh, a, a lot still rests on the players. They they haven't been well enough. They've they've contributed to this. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. I think. Um... Even when Mourinho's come out and tried to be positive, I think the players haven't really responded. And that is due to their relationship. I think the only way the players can then make up for this is going and playing for the next manager and actually showing that, you know, they're capable. And even if they aren't playing well, they need to show commitment to their own fans that they can go and scrap out games and win them and put the effort in. Um, so, you know, they, you know they need, they, it's not just Mourinho that's on trial, it's the players as well. I think that... If someone like Pogba doesn't perform for the next six months, he'll probably end up getting sold in the summer 
um, and like players yeah. like Lukaku, if they don't find the form, they're going to be, you know, they're going to be leaving the club because the fans won't want them there if they're not putting in the performances or the effort. Absolutely. Um, so obviously one manager going out, we've got another one coming in now. Uh, old Gunnar Solskjaer, the ultimate super sub comes in for the ultimate super sub manager job, I guess. <laughs> well, it's Mourinho. Um, I just think he's going to get on. It's an interesting appointment. Um, what, what do you make of it? I think it's, it's not a bad shout for a, an interim position, to be honest. Like, I think clubs tend to go for players that have, or managers that have played at the club before for these sort of roles. Um, like United went to, you know, gigs for that short period of time. Sure. Swansea went for Gary Monk, who that turned out to be a permanent position. That's just an example of someone who sort of knows the club well and isn't going to have a settling in period, I suppose. Yeah, and I think that, you know, players are more likely to respond to someone that, first of all, they respect at the club uh, and someone that, uh, yeah, knows them well, someone that's played there, been in that position, as opposed to some sort of random person that's come in. Um, I honestly thought Carrick might get it for an interim position as well, um, or just, you know, because he's, he's already there. He can sort of just carry on, but maybe he was seen as being too close to Mourinho or something. I don't know. Um, Perhaps, yeah, maybe just didn't quite have the experience. But yeah. uh, I, I, I honestly thought they were going to go for a, for a bigger name, M- much like Chelsea have done with uh, Hiddink in the past. Just that, just getting a well-established manager just to ride the ship for six or so months. But uh, well, the thing with Hiddink was that he'd already he'd already done one spell, so that we you know that by the time he brought him back the second time wasn't sort of the similar scenario in that he knows the club well and he can just sort of get on with things. I think they were United were always going to struggle. Saying that they're going to bring in a new manager within two days because mm. no big yeah no no manager like Zidane's going to come within two days like he's going to need a substantial period of time to actually you know settle things work things out and then move to the club and I think Zidane will probably be the one United go for uh, in the summer or if things don't work out with Solskjaer but um, you know they just sort of rush themselves a bit and I think that was necessary because there are two weeks until the January window opens and they need to get someone settled in so that they can then start, you know, improving the club in January. Sure, sure. Well, Manchester United fans might be a bit worried about uh, Solskjaer's last stint in the Premier League, which was a, a sort of year, was it a year-long stint with Cardiff, which didn't go particularly well. I believe he took over in January and uh, unfortunately was unable to uh, avoid them being relegated and was later sacked after a poor championship start. Is that is that going to factor in at all, or do you think uh, you know a club like Manchester United that that role with Cardiff isn't going to be too much similar? Is it? I suppose. No, I was going to say there's a huge difference between like club structures and sort of the team helping him and the money that he's got behind him. Um, I think on a personal level, I think he would probably be a bit worried. Like it's a big, it's a huge move. I think he was managing what a Norwegian club before this. Um, uh, yes, so he's had two stints at Mould, I believe. One was prior to him joining Cardiff. I think he won the league title twice, which is quite impressive. Um, I don't believe he's won it in his second stint, but I think Rosenberg are quite strong in that league at this point. But it's, it, I mean, it's a big club in Danish perspective, but I mean, this is Manchester United. It's the biggest club in the world, isn't it? Um, yeah. But, yeah. But, you know, it, it's a big challenge. Uh, but moving on from that, obviously we talked about Cardiff. Uh, that's going to be his first game. It, it's going to be a strange sort of atmosphere, isn't it? But, you get the feeling that they're going to have to bounce back, aren't they? Yeah, um, I mean, being at Cardiff as well is, yeah, certainly a, going to be a bit, a bit of a weird sensation. But um, you know, he'll be looking to get a result immediately. And like you said, it's 
a club that United should never be worried about winning against. Like it's, they should be just a routine thing for a club like Man United. Like think under Ferguson, there's no way you'd be dropping points against them. So oh, you wouldn't you wouldn't worry in the same manner. No. Yeah. But, so yeah, you, you know he should he should be looking to go and win three points, but also getting a performance out of the players. I think is the most crucial thing. Well, certainly it's it's going to be a game to watch this weekend. And uh, well, moving on from a manager in Mourinho whose stock has potentially never been lower, uh, move on to a manager whose maybe stock has never been higher, Mauricio Pochettino. And uh, his Spurs team went to Arsenal and uh, won two nil midweek. Uh, I think it's the first time since two thousand and ten that Spurs have. Uh, one at the Emirates. Um, Deli Ali was, you know, a headliner for this game uh, for one of two reasons. I, I suppose we'll talk about the first one um, now, which is just the idiocy of the bottle throwing. Um, just a brief bit on how stupid this is, Tim. I mean, after everything that happened uh, a couple of weeks ago with the fans um, at Chelsea yelling at Sterling, I think it's just an idiotic move. And whether it was sort of a racist thing or not, or whether it was just uh, sort of, the, you know, embracing the Arsenal-Spurs rivalry the wrong way. You know, they, they again, they, the person that threw it should be banned from ever going to a match again if they can find out who did it. Um, just absolute disgusting behaviour. Well, Arsenal, yeah, have released a statement today which says they have footage of him leaving the ground and entering the ground. They now have his name, which they have passed over to the relevant authorities. So... This is a guy that's going to be charged off the back of a momentary stupid incident. And like you said, there's, I mean, it's not the Premier League, but Premier League teams are some of the most watched in the entire world. There's cameras all over the stadium covering every inch of the player. I mean, Deli Alley's retrieving the ball for a free kick, so clearly there's going to be cameras on him. And you think, how stupid can you be to think you're going to get away with that? It's, yeah, idiocy, isn't it? But uh, yeah, yeah just, just silly stuff. But but we'll move on from that because Deli Ali himself during the match was was really good. Uh, did you watch any of the game? I have seen all the highlights, and mm. I mean, you've got to start by talking about his his finish for that second goal was just oh. wonderful, brilliant, brilliant, brilliant goal, and uh, and the Kane pass as well for it. It's an underappreciated skill from Kane, but he does have some good setup play. Yeah, I mean, um, like, we saw him for England as well, sort of. He ends up dropping back into that sort of almost, like, false nine role, to be honest, or, like, number 10, where he's spraying passes about. Like, he can play that. And I think when you've got players like Ali and Son uh, for Tottenham who can, you know, finish, I think, and, you know, it's a system that works really well. Sure, yeah, yeah. They're all very good at running onto the ball with those those kind of passes. But yeah, him, him and Kane obviously had good matches. Uh, Ali got man of the match. It was also a great pass for the for the Son goal. And then obviously, like I said, a, a cheeky sort of dink over, over the keeper. Um, he, I, I saw a stat what, after the game about uh, Deli Ali that he's got 51, games, uh, 51 goals sorry, since he joined, which is actually equal with, with Hazard since he joined. And that's not to denigrate Hazard at all. That's just to say they're, they're both incredible scoring stats. But it's not... Not necessarily something I always think of in Ali, but for a 22-year-old, he's got really incredible stats over the last four years. It's easy to forget he's such a young man still because he does play like a a more sort of mature player. Yeah, I think we're seeing his sort of temper issues that he's had have really calmed down. And to put it in comparison, I think um, the amount of goals he's got, I think it, Frank Lampard achieved that at 26 and Gerald achieved that at 27, I think, or something very <laughs> similar to that. Like he's four years younger 
and scored that amount of goals than two of the Premier League's best ever players. Cool. Um, yeah, yeah. Like and he he's on... a talent. Yeah, and he comes on for a lot of stick though. I think he's almost a, a lightning rod for when England and Spurs don't do very well. He's always sort of picked out, possibly because he is that sort of character, I guess. Because he he does put himself in the spotlight quite a lot, so he does come under that flak. But certainly his statistics are really good. Um, yeah, he does have bad games, but which is you know is apparent if he doesn't play well. But I think if you're Mauricio Pochettino, there's like he is one of your star players going forward at that club without a doubt. Like he's 22 and doing this well. If he plays well, he can win you games, and he's only going to get better. Like there's, <laughs> he's so crucial to Tottenham, I think, going forward. Like, I was absolutely and, and England as well. Yeah, yeah, and England certainly. Um, well, I, I suppose we should talk about Arsenal a bit because you know after 22 games, was it unbeaten? They've now had a week where they lost two in a row. Are we are we now saying, well, seeing that it was a slightly false record, those 22, or are they just a bit unlucky to have lost two in a row now? I don't think it's unlucky. I think they did really well. I think there was definitely a bit of pandering to sort of performances and their defence is very makeshift at the moment. Like, Jack has been playing at centre-back and they've, they've had injuries like Koscielny was their only fit uh, centre-back for the game against Southampton, really, because it was Licksteiner and um, Jack are playing alongside him. Mm. Um, this game, they really got shown up in that they, Arsenal could have easily won this. They had so many opportunities. Namely, Loads of chances, didn't they? Like Makaita and missing from like one-on-one with the keeper. Gazaniga, by the way, had a great game. Like the saves he made kept Spurs in it. But um, yeah, so, he yeah, should have scored. Few, yeah, a few off the post as well, wasn't it? Yeah, they they should they you know they had the opportunity to be like five up uh, or have scored five. So they've let themselves down, to be honest, and. Spurs probably didn't have as many opportunities, but they were much more clinical. Um, but yeah, I don't, I don't think it was luck that they're unbeaten. You know, they're having uh, they they did so well, and now they you know had a week where they've lost twice in two games. But um, I think their weaknesses are now you know they've been exploited a bit, and I just think they'll benefit from um, you know players becoming fit again. And I think they just like they they you know they had a new manager at the start of the season five months ago. Like yeah, they're yeah. still developing, and by the way that we've seen them play going forward, like. They beat Tottenham 4-2 uh, on, like, the start of December. Um, and, you know, they showed they can score goals. So, um, I, you, you know, definitely don't write them out just yet. And they're still going to be challenging for those uh, Champions League places. And one mm. thing that has come out of that, by the way, is that uh, Spurs and Arsenal were both fined about £50,000 each for the club for the scuffle in that match uh, in the derby at the start. Pounds, really? I th- about that, I think. Um, Sorry, one at the beginning of December, you mean? Yeah. Sure, yeah, okay. Yeah, that was a bit... I mean, that game, yeah, uh, at points was a bit out of control, wasn't it? <laughs> <laughs> I think you're always going to get with an Arsenal-Spurs rivalry, to be honest. It was all the scuffle with Eric Dyer and then everyone getting involved and I think someone oh, ended up brilliant. on the floor. Yeah, it was brilliant. <laughs> I think because of how mental that, that got and how out of hand, this one was a bit more mild-mannered and I think that's probably a reflection on... Both clubs having to be told, listen, now, calm down a bit for this. <laughs> you cannot have one of those. Um, yeah, just reminding them that it's a very heated derby and just, you know, call it. Yeah, well, exactly. But, uh, yeah, no, agree with that. If not for a moment, well, a couple of moments of quality, they could have really had, well, Peg, Man, uh, Peg Tottenham backs are in and had a few goals of their own. But, uh, yeah, so maybe, maybe I'm being a bit unfair on Arsenal. 
Uh, but yeah, we'll, we'll move on to another midweek game. Uh, it was the game that happened on Wednesday. Uh, I assume you'll have something to talk about on this. It's the uh, <laughs> Chelsea Bournemouth game. So difficult game for both sides, I suppose. Chelsea needed Hazard to come in in the 83rd minute with a bit of a bit of a scuff shot at the end. Yeah, I think it came off uh, the defender's hand, but um... oh, yeah, it'd take him anyway. Take him anyway. <laughs> yeah, it went in. Um, yeah. yeah, I think. I mean, again, we were playing a slightly weakened team. But like, and so, so are Bournemouth. In all fairness, um, it's a rest for the. I think that the um, Premier League is probably more important to both clubs at this point. Um, but you know, like they played quite well. We played relatively well. Some great performances, some not so great performances. And there isn't a huge amount to talk about in that. Like, um, there weren't you know too many clear cut chances for either team. But like, it's just quite a positive showing, and it was you know quite a decent contest. It is a bit worrying that you know we needed Hazard to come on and make the difference, and it doesn't fuel the. So it doesn't help but fuel the um, rumours that you know we're sort of a one-man team and that Hazard does everything for us. But um, what you know when he when he does do it, he's great, and he's I think he scored ten and got nine assists in all matches this uh, season in all in all competitions this season, and he's only started fourteen games. Well, that, I mean, it does show how effective he's been this season, isn't it? He's been, yeah, used used more sparingly, perhaps, than we've seen before. He's injured at the start of the season, and he's been sort of shifted to this uh, number nine role with Kante, oh, sorry, Kante, Giroud and Morata both being a bit not great. Um, but, like, yeah, no, he's still really, really effective. And I think his assists record show, him, I think, at the time last, this time last week, him and Messi were the only two players to have scored scored eight and assisted eight plus uh, in Europe's top five leagues. So, yeah, I'll leave it there. <laughs> yeah, not a bad player to be compared to. Uh, well, we've covered Tottenham and we've covered Chelsea. Um, both teams are now going to be drawn against each other in the semi-finals of the League Cup. Both teams have managers who have never won a major piece of silverware. Is this something that both of them should be targeting at this point? Because... Both Sarri and Pochettino, like I said, no, no silverware today. And that's something that's uh, always certainly held against Pochettino and, and, and to a certain extent Sarri so far, despite the fact he's you know, had a long managerial career. What do you think, as, as a Chelsea fan, is this something you'd like to see Chelsea prioritising? You know, there's, there's a two-legged semi left and obviously a final. But... I mean, I think that it's an it's important point that, you know, neither manager has won silverware and it'd be quite nice to get the first one under the belt, I think for Sarri, uh, it's being his first season in the Premier League, it would be quite a nice thing. But like I said, I think both teams are probably more focused on the Premier League at the moment, isn't it being pretty tight in the uh, Champions League spots. And knowing that the uh, they've both got the big team to come in the League Cup uh, if um, whoever wins that semi-final and that they will have to face Burton Albion. Um, so, yeah, you know, they've, they've both won it, but I think the Premier League is more important. Hmm. Which, which is fair enough. It's obviously uh, uh, important for both of them. Uh, we'll move on to one more result then in the midweek. Uh, Leicester, Man City. Um, Man City weren't quite their best. Uh, granted, they had a slightly younger second string team. But to be fair, they still had, I mean, what was it like? Foden, Mares, Otamendi, De Bruyne was on. And they had Jesus off the bench. They do have this unbelievable strength in depth. But yeah, it's nice to see De Bruyne back. He scored a really good goal from outside the box. Uh, City fans are going to love seeing that. But uh, yeah, I, I suppose a, a good result for City, despite the fact they sort of limped over the line slightly. 
Yeah, it's, you know, I mean, it went to penalties. I think Leicester probably, you know, they put up a good fight. Um, and it's a good point, you know, City have been, you know, had injuries. Aguero and De Bruyne are both coming back, uh, maybe not completely fresh. Mm. Uh, but, you know, it's what this Cup's for is bringing youngsters through. And it's great to see, you know, players like Diaz and Foden getting run outs. Um, so, yeah. And they both yeah. have pretty good games. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but, yeah, like you said, Leicester probably on could count themselves unlucky to go out I suppose not least because they had a, a series of awful awful penalties I don't know if you watched the shootout but some of them are really poorly struck I mean I mean, if the ideal penalty is sort of smashed uh, sort of into the top corner these were all sort of damp squibs towards the goalkeeper they're really unimpressive okay a lot of things to talk about just briefly Burton Albion what an achievement huh? even oh, if so good yeah, Nigel Clough getting them into the semis. Uh, it's nice to see one underdog in the cup because it, it normally seems to be populated by top six sides by the time it gets mm. to the semis. But to have a not only an underdog by Premier League standards, they're you know they're they're in the lower league, so yeah, that'd be nice. Can they I cause that against City? Love them to beat City. I would love it. I mean, they won't, but it would be so good. And just from like, <laughs> I want to put City down a peg. I just think. From you know, undoubtedly the best club uh, in English football, being beaten by a League One side, I just think oh. it's it is so so good. It's worthy of the FA Cup third round. Oh god, yeah, and and by Clough as well, that would be brilliant. <laughs> um, okay, so I think that neatly wraps up our um, our review of the EFL fixtures. Uh, we'll move on to the Premier League now. Uh, so we've got a few uh, Premier League fixtures this weekend to look over. Um, We'll talk about the Friday night game first, I suppose. It's Liverpool against Wolves. Um, Jürgen Klopp's side, they're in pretty good form, aren't they? Uh, they'll be looking to carry on this against Wolves. Yeah, I mean, they're top. They need to be winning these matches if they want to beat City. So, um, you know, they just need to be a really solid win. Um, I think, you know, Wolves are a club that will challenge them. I think, what are they, like, seventh in the league at the moment? They're doing really, really well. well um, as it stands, two points behind Man U in seventh. Um, they've been beating people in style recently. I think they beat Bournemouth, dominated Bournemouth. Um, uh, embarrassing, really. I, I don't know if... Uh, yeah, yeah. But we'll move on from that. And they've also <laughs> beaten Newcastle and, and Chelsea as well in their last three games. So they're well capable of beating the big sides. But uh, uh, Liverpool's certainly a different prospect to those three previous teams, on current form at least. Yeah, I think Liverpool's pressing will probably undo Wolves a bit. Um but you know, you never know. It's you know, it's at Wolves. You know, they're playing at home. That can do things, and the, the you know, the crowd might inspire them to actually get a result. So it's definitely one worth watching. Sure. Yeah. And uh, well, Liverpool, because it's a Friday night game, also they'll look to gain some early ground on City. Because then, what will they be five points in front or something? Albeit, albeit yeah. only temporary. But uh, that'd be something they're certainly going to target with. Uh, so City are playing Crystal Palace at home, so you'd think they they'd probably get the result there. But it's nice to pull ahead for a, for at least a brief amount. Uh, so another another game we've got over the weekend. We'll talk about Chelsea again. Chelsea and Leicester both been in action in the midweek. Uh, Leicester obviously going to go into it a bit disappointed. Uh, Chelsea the opposite will be taking positives from it. But uh, do you think this is going to affect them having played midweek? Obviously. Uh, uh, Chelsea, you said, played a slightly second-string side, so maybe they'll be. Uh, obviously, it's these teams have quite big squads nowadays, so is that yeah. going to affect 
I don't think it'll make a huge difference to either either side, to be honest. Um, like Vardy wasn't playing either, so obviously he'll be uh, starting fresh. And I think Leicester's team wasn't a hundred percent like their first team either. I think they were missing big players like uh, Wes Morgan and Mark Albright. And so I don't, I don't think it'll make that make a huge difference. I think you know they might be a bit disappointed that they they got knocked out, but it was to Man City, and I think that might just fuel them to uh, get performance this week. So I think it would be a good match from a Chelsea point of view and a Chelsea fan. I think we just need like, it just needs to be a win uh, no matter how it happens. And like to be, you know, a, a solid result. Um, Cause if we, you know, if we're going to be challenging for these top four spots, which we are at the moment, we just need to be winning these matches. Um, no more upsets, please. Yeah. I mean, cause to, to a certain extent as well, it, it almost doesn't matter the performance against the top four sides. It's how you do against, you know, the bottom, let's say, 15 teams uh, not 15 bottom 13 teams in the Premier League if you win all those games you're laughing aren't you yeah that's what normally undoes you know title challenges exactly that's the basis of a good Premier League title winning team is just being able to put away the little guys Um, and that's yeah certainly what Chelsea are going to have to do if they want to well I don't know about continue to be a title challenger but if they want to continue to be pushing for maybe a top three space uh, not to be insulting to you but uh, that's certainly what they need to be doing um, okay, let's talk about maybe Arsenal Burnley. So we talked about Arsenal before. Um, Burnley are obviously in they're, they're in desperate needs of the points at the moment. They're finding themselves in the relegation zone. Uh, got their third from bottom at the moment. Um, this is probably one of the teams they're not really going to want to face at the moment because Arsenal are going to want to go out there and prove a point, aren't they? After a disappointing midweek, you'd expect so. And you know they definitely need to be. I think the main thing for Arsenal is can they just put their chances away because they couldn't uh, against Tottenham. So if, you know, if they can go in and score a couple of goals, they'll win comfortably, I think. But with their makeshift defence and, you know, if Shaq is still playing a defence, if they haven't got the, um, you know, the players back from injury yet, you know, there is an opportunity that Burnley can possibly score a couple of goals. And like we saw uh, with Southampton last week, you know, they scored three-headed goals against them. So maybe Burnley just literally play simple route one football, get it on the head of the striker and try and score uh, a few goals. Like I think Sam Vokes, uh, we talked about it a couple of weeks ago, had scored oh, like, third most headers in uh, like Europe's top five leagues um, cool. this season. So, you know, maybe I mean, they can grab one or two. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, he would have been looking at that Southampton game and thinking, right, there's the game plan then. Because if, yeah. if their defenders are going to deal with long balls, certainly in behind like that, because they just didn't seem capable, did they? Like you said, um, if, if Xhaka's still making up that centre-back pairing, it's just not his natural thinking. You, you want someone there who, for whom it's sort of second nature rather than Xhaka, probably having to think too much about positioning and where he's, you know, where he's meant to be, who he's meant to be marking. And it, it should almost be uh, like second nature. And, and for, you know, season centre-backs, it will be. So, yes, maybe that's something uh, Burnley can exploit. Certainly, they need to, because they, they need to get themselves out of that position. OK, uh, let's talk about West Ham versus Watford. Again, the biggest game of the week. And, and <laughs> can I say, first of all, I, having listened to the last pod, there is a blatant and absolute anti-West Ham bias when I'm not on the show. And it, it, <laughs> Frankly, it's disgusting. <laughs> last week, you and I timed it. I got out my stopwatch. Ten seconds on us going four and zero in the league. 
the best form we've had in 30-odd years. Potentially the most informed team in the Premier League. I won't ask for your opinion on that. I'll accept I'll, <laughs> you would accept that. Um, uh, Tim, you, uh, and you're very much part of this West Ham bias. Uh, how, do you, how do you plead on this? Am I? Um, let, just put it this way. We haven't mentioned anything bad about West Ham. And I think that's a positive to be taking in itself. Um, that's slick. Get, get the fuck out. <laughs> no, I mean, in all fairness, you've been doing really, really well. And, like, I will say that on record because you have been performing really, really well. Um, I'm going to blame it on Danny because he's normally hosting them and he doesn't mention it. Um, but, like, sure. yeah, now, go on. You've got a minute to talk about how well West Ham have been doing. You've got you, your, this is your space. Give us the reason why West Ham are doing really well and will beat Watford decisively on Saturday. Listen, I'm I'm not one to blow my own horn. I I, I don't want to I don't want to self promote. It's it's very unclassy. But no, what I will say is no, we are doing very well at the moment under Pellegrini. Um, it is it is looking up for us, and it looks like we're really hitting our stride. But Watford certainly is the biggest challenge we would have had in the last four games. Um, and they they do have qualities, Watford, don't they? Um, I'm worried going to the game if. Delafeu and sort of Decore because mm. when, when they're hitting their stride, they they're so lethal. And you saw that last weekend with the goals they were scoring. I, I think Danny said that all the goals were, I think he called them sensational or something like that. They 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 do have those qualities to them. How, how would you see this panning out? I mean, apart from a West Ham win, and if you don't <laughs> start the way, this will further give evidence to the bias. <laughs> I literally have a choice. First of all, I'm going to say I think it'll be a genuinely exciting match. Like I think it'll be, I think it'll be really close. And I think what will happen? I think West Ham will perform well because they have been doing. And I think all the players have stepped up. Like players like Hernandez and Snodgrass have really stepped up. And I think it can probably be determined on how if the Watford players step up to that as well. Like you mentioned, De Lafeu, when he's good, he's brilliant. And then sometimes he just isn't there. Um, yeah, find a consistency, I suppose. So I think if you can find a way to shut him down, then I, th- you know, you are genuinely with a great shot of winning. Um, mm. And just because you're here, I will tip West Ham as favourites. But I, th- I genuinely think I think it'll be the closest matchup of the week, and uh, I think it'll probably be the I'm most exciting match. Absolutely. So that was absolutely ungoaded as well, wasn't it? That that's your own opinion, hundred percent. Yeah, I definitely have haven't had any threatening text before this episode. Uh, telling me that if I don't uh, say that West Ham are going to win, I'm going to get a rock through the window. That's quite enough of that. <laughs> like, well, nice. Yeah. M- moving on, quite frankly. Um, <laughs> is is there any other games that have uh, jumped out at you over the weekend? No, I was going to say, what's quite exciting is that we've got sort of two big relegation battle matches with uh, Huddersfield, Southampton and Newcastle Fulham. Uh, four teams that, well, three teams that desperately need to win in the, in Huddersfield, Newcastle, and Fulham, and then Southampton, who uh, got that big win at Arsenal, and really need to carry that on to, uh, you know, to you know continue their form and try and gain their uh, their places out. Currently, Newcastle are 14th, um, and Fulham are you know stone dead last. So you'd expect Newcastle to win it, but um, with you know Ranieri come in, they looked pretty good in their first match, so. They might pose a bit of a threat. They just need to somehow try and score some goals. Uh, and then, trouble is they've got to stop shipping them as well. It's unbelievable, even under Ranieri, how they just continue to ship goals. 
Yeah, I think if they can if they can try and like outplay teams and score more, then you know they might be able to get away with that. But uh, yeah, I just I it, you know it's, again it could go either way, and it could be a really awful match where nothing happens. Mm. Um, we shall have to wait and see. But it does make it quite exciting down there because uh, you know if they win, they if Fulham win, they're in contention for sort of climbing out of the relegation zone. Um, if Newcastle lose, they could be back down there, and then. Huddersfield Southampton is exactly the same. Is that whoever wins is probably out of the relegation zone, and whoever loses is in it. Uh, whether Southampton are currently seventeenth and just out of it on goal difference, uh, if they lose, they're probably going to go back. So you know, it's quite exciting. And I think there isn't much more exciting, anything more exciting in the the Premier League than the relegation battle, unless you've got sort of a United City thing like we had a few years ago with Aguero's wonder goal to win it. Um, there's um, not much more exciting than the. Uh, the um, relegation battle. It's absolutely, and it's it's that stage of the season, isn't it, where people are looking at the positions on the table and thinking, I don't want to be in the bottom two at New Year because you know statistically, I know statistics aren't everything, but it's never a good sign if you're bottom by New Year because it almost almost always means you're bound for the drop. So certainly, Fulham are going to want to have a good festive period. Um, looking at the other results then over the weekend, uh, Bournemouth are going to want to back up some quite poor recent form, isn't it? They've lost six of the last seven games. Obviously, one of those includes the EFL tie. Uh, they're playing Brighton at the weekend at home. Um, so running down the rest of it, we talked about uh, Chelsea, Leicester. Uh, elsewhere, as we said, Huddersfield uh, hosting Southampton. City facing Crystal Palace. Newcastle against Fulham. Uh, one we haven't talked about is Everton versus Spurs. We won't go into it too much, uh, but if you want to give a quick prediction maybe for that game? Um, I think Spurs will win. I think if Everton, you know, like they, they've been on the fringes of sort of the, you know, top six teams there. Mm. And I think they'd like to see themselves as a sixth place team and they can always upset sort of one of the big six. So, you know, if they, if they want to be moving up in, in the Premier League, they want to be winning these games against Tottenham and, and the like. So, I don't think they will, but you know they've got a chance, and I'll I'll go three one Tottenham. Okay, well it's a big opportunity for Everton this year to uh, take that sixth place with Man U faltering. But uh, okay, well we'll uh, we'll move on from the weekend's Premier League action and uh, maybe move into the talking points of the week. Uh, was there anything you that's uh, jumped out of you from the world of football? Uh, I've got a couple things this week. So the first one is that. Uh, despite winning the World Cup, uh, the France national team are second in the world rankings to Belgium, who came third. Um, I know world rankings are sort of dependent on uh, other matches and how they perform in other tournaments, but I think if you're a World Cup winning team, to then not be top in the world rankings is maybe not the most fair system ever. I don't know what your thoughts about all this are. But, uh... I mean, it, for one, it's a bit bizarre because Belgium... I mean, granted, this might be because uh, France failed to qualify through to the final four of the Nations League. But Belgium did. Belgium lost, was it 5-2 to Switzerland? It, it was 5-2, I think. Um, but Belgium, yeah, failed to qualify as well to the, for the final of the Nations League because on goal difference, because they were ahead of Switzerland on goal difference, but because they shipped five goals, failed to qualify. Um so I'm not sure where in the rankings this would. Uh, I mean, it, it changes every year, seemingly the way they they top these things up. But yeah, it's a bit bizarre that, isn't it? Yeah, the only good thing to take from it is that England are fifth, so you know 
that's a positive. Yeah, that can only mean we'll win the World Cup. The way we're progressing <laughs> through the rankings. Um, the only other thing I've got is just the one of the best non-goals I think I've ever seen is a uh, AZ striker Ralph Swentjes. That's definitely not how you pronounce his name. He's Dutch. Um, got the ball off a great through ball. Uh, ran into the box, tried to lob the keeper. The ball uh-huh. bounced just before the goal line, and then they had so much backspin on it that it spanned back into the penalty area without going in. And like, oh, clip, it's so funny because he looks distraught, and it like by all means should have gone straight in, and it just spanned back. It was brilliant. Oh my god! Well, it was like a slice shot almost. Well, like, I think he, he just lobbed the keeper like he meant to, but he must have just dug under the ball so much. that, And it was on target. And it literally bounced about a foot in front of the goal line and just spanned back into play. Um, yeah. It's bizarre, but oh, he must have been gutted. And you can see it. He threw his arms in the air, disgusted at what had happened. Ah. Well, um, that, that, is, that is bizarre. I'm going to have to watch that later. Um professional Pillock and Arsenal fan uh, Piers Morgan uh, having to uh, wear a Tottenham shirt for the for the League Cup semi-final draw because he lost a bet I believe with Peter Crouch um, I think the was if he if he lost he had to wear the Tottenham shirt that he so despises um, throughout that draw so it was really nice to see him super uncomfortable <laughs> having to wear that absolutely uh, it was glorious Fucking, yeah, he's a player. Uh, but we'll move on to that because I'll raise you, I'll see your Piers Morgan and your non goal and raise you Andre Arshavin. Have you seen any of this? I'm confused where this is going. This has come out towards the later. T- <laughs> this is brilliant, by the way. There's uh, right, Andre Arshavin. Yeah, you remember him from his four goal uh, match winning performance. Absolutely. We've got some brilliant rem- uh, memories of him as a footballer. So, Andre Arshavin was spotted in the early hours of last night, leaving uh, St. Petersburg <laughs> Strip Club. Now, that that in itself is, I, I suppose, newsworthy, but no, no headline news. However, Andre did, in fact, ride off from the nightclub <laughs> on a horse. Oh, God. Just to make it any less conspicuous, he thought he'd get out of there on a horse. Yeah. So he left Andre with uh, left the nightclub with two strippers apparently, and then descended away <laughs> on a horse. Arshavin, by the way, is about to start his job as the head of a new Russian youth I don't football think he project. Is. <laughs> oh, yeah. yeah Asterisk <laughs> by that was previously <laughs> going to start a new role in Russian youth football. Um, is this, yeah, this is very much the kind of role model we need. <laughs> Don't um, say that. <laughs> but yeah, so that's that's my humble uh, offering for for the world football news. I thought that was brilliant. <laughs> so good. Uh, I mean, at least his career couldn't get much worse. Oh well, yeah, yeah. It's it's all over now, Andre. It's all over. Oh dear. Okay, well, let's um, let's move on from that and and talk about our team eleven. Yeah. Shall we? So the feature we started uh, in the episodes on Tuesday, the team of the millennium. Um, this is the feature running up to the new year where uh, we'll all pick our sort of preferred player from the, the who's been the best player 
since 2000 in each position. So uh, we've got a 4-4-2 formation. On Tuesday, we had uh, Jean-Louis Buffon picked as the goalkeeper for our team of the millennium. Uh, so we've got the centre-backs uh, this week. Now, I'm going to start off with Ryan, who's not here, but I've got his contribution uh, to the team. Uh, now, he's gone with Paolo Maldini and Sergio Ramos for his defenders. Uh, I won't say anything yet. What are your choices? Uh, can I start for a moment? I, I don't want to besmir- uh, dismirch your decision from last week. And obviously, Gigi Buffon is a fine, fine, uh, a fine addition. I would add, however, into the mix, Oliver Kahn. Because that's a player that came third in the Ballon d'Or twice in the early 2000s. And granted, he didn't have a lot of his career in this particular... Well, a, a lot of his career was pre-2000. But I think that was at least worth mentioning. Um, but yeah, we'll, well, we'll go on to I'll say just um, what that is. So we actually will have an episode at the very end with uh, all of us on. And we will sort of nitpick all the positions. And oh, decide yeah, yeah. between all yeah, of us that... Um, any players that need to be moved around or any position changes or anything like that. So that will be coming later. So stay tuned for that, uh, where we sort of finalise the team. We might also be picking a manager uh, in that episode as well. Okay. Well, uh, okay. Well, before you put your case forward for John Terry, I'll do mine. Um, I'm not wrong, am I? I actually actually have Um, (laughs) uh, Well, my two, I've gone with... Cannavaro and Sergio Ooh, Ramos. Interesting. So Cannavaro, the last yeah. defender to win the Ballon d'Or. Last defender to win the Ballon d'Or. Um, I've I've sort of split this almost because Cannavaro in the early two thousands was just a force to be reckoned with. As you said, he played such a big part in Italy winning the the World Cup. Uh, the only defender since two thousand to win the Ballon d'Or. Um, it's very rare that a player is even nominated in the top three for the Ballon d'Or if you're a defender. So that just reflects how 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 good he was. And I know it's not all about individual awards, but the fact he, he not only won the World Cup and the Ballon d'Or, I, th- I think that puts him down for me. Then then Sergio Ramos. I mean, uh, both internationally, he was part of the Spain squad who won three consecutive major tournaments. And then part of a Madrid squad who's who's basically made the Champions League their own over the last three years. Um, I think those two combined, I think that would make a really mean force. Um, so, yeah, that's my picks. Very valid, very valid. I'll tell you why I've gone for. So, I've also gone for Paolo Maldini. Um, I think <sighs> there is the debate with him whether he goes at centre-back or left-back, but I've picked someone else at left-back, uh, we'll discuss in the next episode. Um, but I've put Maldini at centre-back, and I've also gone with, uh, slightly left field. I've gone with Carlos Poyle. Um, I, I, no, think, no. I think I, his leadership yeah. quality is probably better than anyone we've mentioned on the team, uh, of all of the centre-backs. Um, I think what he did for that Barcelona team, which was you know, considered at several different points throughout his career one of the best teams ever, um, I think he was a huge part of that. And like Maybe he's not as good a defender, like he was always lacking pace and maybe lacking certain like abilities on the ball and stuff like that. But I think he definitely made up for that with off the pitch contributions or even on the pitch, but um, sort of in calming players down and getting the most out of the players that he was captaining. Um, so, you know, I've gone for that. I think he would be, you know, he'd be the captain of my team. I think he'd work really, really well alongside Maldini as well. 
Yeah, I, I, I absolutely get that. I, I've seen all this about Maldini. I would offer the case against him. Though. Why would that be? I'm not sure if this was pre-2000, then I absolutely believe Maldini would be there as, as a, in the defence as, as an absolute. But is, is the Maldini post-2000 the, the same beast as before? Because this is the guy who was, uh, some stats for you, so he was in the Euro team of the tournament in 88, 96 and 2000. The World Cup All-Star team, 90 and 94. I mean, he won seven Serie A titles, but only one of them was before, no, only one of them was after 2000. Five Champions League, three of those were before 2000. Um, Coppa Italia's five or one, four before 2000. Is this, this, is this a player who was coming into that millennium with, with this absolutely amazing reputation, but did he play as well after 2000 is my question. I might be lacking the knowledge. I this, mean, but... our local Italian expert, Danny, isn't actually on this episode, and he would probably know better than all of us. Um, I, think that, I think he was still the player that he was. Yeah, he was older, and then as you get older, you do lack sort of certain physical attributes. But I think the way he read the game, the impact he had on it, and his experience of uh, the game and sort of running a defence, it was still there completely. And I think his importance is just, you know, it's huge, um, especially to AC Milan. Yeah. And I think when they lost him, I think they lost a huge part of that team. Sure. And I, I might not be the correct authority on this, to quite honest. Danny can uh, grill me on a, on a subsequent pod. But, uh, yeah, I mean, that, that would be my only question. If... if if the Maldini post two thousand is the same beast, um, I'm yeah, I'm not sure. A couple of honourable mentions though. What about uh, what about John yeah, Terry? So I, where, 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 oh, I desperately wanted to include him in my nomination, but I just thought the talent from abroad is just too good. But like, I think if you know if this was just Premier League, I think there'd be no doubt that John Terry would be the first name on that team um, or in the in the defence. Like, talk about leaders. Oh, absolutely. He's, I mean. He, you know, he's he's just a fantastic character, and like the way he, yeah, the way he leads on the pitch is brilliant. The way he reads the game is probably second to none, to be honest. And I think what lets him down are his physical attributes, in that he's not the quickest, um, but you know, he's got a ridiculously like he's the Premier League's all-time leading defensive goal scorer. Uh, sure, yeah. So I think he's yeah. huge, but like. I think it's showing, especially from a Chelsea fan, the reason I didn't put him in is just because of how good some of the other players over the sort of last two decades have been. Um, so I did leave him out, but a great pain. A great pain. Um, one, one that did cross my mind, uh, only briefly, I, I'm not sure he's maybe in the same, the same bracket, but Nemanja Vidic, just for that period, when Manchester United was so dominant, Vidic was just at the centre of that. And I, I remember watching Match of the Day highlights and, and you could honestly count 20 times where he, he would be headering out of the box or making a clearance or getting in a tackle. It just seemed to be the commentator saying <laughs> Vidic, Vidic, constantly throughout the highlights. It, it was just a force of nature at points for Manchester United. And it, it seemed like he was a machine at points, honestly. When they, when they were winning that... That, that period where they won three consecutive titles, it just seemed like he could No, he was wrong. an absolute rock for United, wasn't he? Um, I think maybe what's counting against Vidic is he probably didn't do it as long as some of these other guys. 
So if you look at Ramos's career and you look at Maldini's career, albeit it was sort of before 2000, but I still, it still counts for something considering how good he was and that he played into the 2000s quite significantly. Um, I think if you look mm-hmm. at Vidic, like he was at Inter and then he was at United, but he didn't do it for the length of time that some of these guys did or are still doing it. Um, and, you know, once he left United, his career went pretty quickly sort of downhill. And, you know, you know he was ageing a bit. That's not his fault. But um, I just think he's probably, like, and he was brilliant. And at the time, he was one of the best defenders in the world, without a doubt. I just think if you, you can't quite put him up there with some of the other guys, uh, some of the other contenders, purely because of that. Yeah. Oh, no, no. I, I think that's absolutely so, fair enough. Uh who the, the question is yeah who I think, are we going I for? think what we'll do because through consensus with the sort of uh well six six suggestions we've had I think we'll put Sergio Ramos in uh because I think you're, you're quite right because of what he's done uh, at Real Madrid you know they are the Champions League team uh, he's still going and I think the amount of goals he scores as well is huge so I think we'll put Ramos in and I think from two votes to one I think we'll We'll put Paolo Maldini in as well. Ah, oh, we've gone with Ryan's choices. Though. We have gone with Ryan's choices, but the thing is, I picked Maldini and you picked Ramos, and then he picked both. Um, yeah, I suppose. Don't worry, yeah. we've got that episode at the end where we can all have a bit of a, a play around well, with it and we'll see what goes on. Well, okay, that, that sounds good. Ryan, you're, you're two for three now. On your uh, on your choices, so we'll see how you get on next week, I suppose. Uh, any other any other business? Uh, no, I think we're all done. All right. Well, thank you very much for listening to the Game Time Podcast. Cheers, Tim. Thanks very much for having me. Uh, don't remember, you can follow us on Twitter at Game Time underscore Pod. We're also available on uh, iTunes, Google, Spotify, Castbox, Stitcher, Breaker, and lots of other things. So go and listen to us on there. It's a massive list of where you can you can uh, subscribe. Thank you. I would not have remembered that at all. And and also anchor, fantastic. MMA fan, be sure to check out the new Switchkick podcast. We preview upcoming events, discuss the big UFC and Bellator news, and John from Philadelphia drops in to give us a few betting tips. To listen, search for Switchkick MMA on SoundCloud or Switchkick in the Apple Store.